Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to our second episode on bike sharing in China. I'm sure we will have more in the future, but this follows our prior episode on OFO, so make sure you check that out. Although you don't have to listen to them in order, but it's a lot easier to understand if you do. Yep, also technically because OFO really did launch first. And the main characters of today's show, Mobike and Hellobike, started later. Hellobike actually way later. Ready? Set? On your wheels? Go! The president's key economic team goes to China. Uh, after a whole night thinking, I say I still want to do it. Tech Buzz China by Pin Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. We are a new weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage. Tech Buzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, a new English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Ray Ma. And I'm your other co-host, Yingying Liu. Shout out to some of our listeners: Lena Fang, Yin L Yin, Rowan Williams, and Tianyi Pan. And a special thanks to our big supporter, Yale Zhang, for writing our latest five-star review on iTunes. Thanks, Yale. By the way, our star intern Scott Du is leaving to return to school in Germany. If you are interested in helping us put Tech Buzz China together, email us at rui at pandaily dot com. If you enjoy listening to us, please take the time to write us a rating or review on iTunes. Presumably by now, many of our listeners have heard about bike sharing in China, if not actually gotten to try a ride yourselves. And if you haven't, again, you should listen to our episode from last week, episode fifteen, if you can. As a refresher, though, Ray. Could you give us some stats about the industry for those who are just tuning in? Sure, Yingying. There is a lot of data, but luckily for us, back in March, the China Academy of Information and Communications Technology, together with Mobike, published the China Bike Sharing Industry Development Report for 2018, and it is filled with stats. But here are some of the most interesting numbers. As of the end of 2017, there were over 220 million users of bike-sharing services, representing 29% of all internet users in China. Now, 2016 is the first full year of bike-sharing operations in China. There were a cumulative two million bikes deployed into 33 cities. By the end of 2017, however, that number had grown nearly 12 times to 23 million bikes, and the number of cities had also grown by more than six times to 200. Yingying, let's give our listeners some sense of perspective here. 
So according to Google, China has about 1.4 billion people. 60% of those people live in urban areas. That's about 838 million. So let's go ahead here and assume that bike sharing, you know, is mostly implemented in urban areas. At 23 million bikes, that means there's one bike for every 36 residents. What do you think? Does that sound reasonable? Well, depends on how you look at it. The most bike-loving place in the world, the Netherlands, has 1.3 bikes per capita. Most other countries are not nearly so high, though. In China, by the way, according to the World Bank, 37.2% of the population uses bicycles. But those are not shared bikes. A study by the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy that looked at global, mostly docked bike-sharing schemes found that the ideal ratio is between one and three bikes per hundred residents. Well, listeners of our last episode will remember that in Shanghai, the current ratio is more like one for every 15 people. In Beijing, where there are 1.9 million bikes for the 22 million residents, that number is actually closer to one for every 11. In fact, back in early 2017, Tencent Tech had put out a report estimating that China only needs about 17.5 million shared bikes for the entire country. Now you see why the government's starting to talk about jianliao, or decreasing the quantity. There are just way too many bikes. But now back to this report. It seems that bike sharing, in China at least, isn't doing very much to replace existing public transportation. Prior to bike sharing, we see that 31.2% of trips were taken on the subway or on the bus systems. After bike sharing has arrived, the number is still about the same, at 30.7%. Yeah, bike sharing has had a greater effect on car trips, which declined from 29.8% to 26.6%. And while trips made on bikes have roughly doubled in frequency from 1 in 20 to 1 in 10 trips after the introduction of bike sharing, it seems from the data that a good amount of that was probably replacing some other mode of transportation besides cars, such as walking, which isn't displayed in this chart. Nope. If I were Mobike, I wouldn't be highlighting that either. There's no carbon emissions to be eliminated by replacing walking, right? Indeed. And they wouldn't have received that Champions of the Earth Award from the UN Environment Program last year. Are we too cynical, Ray? No. We're being discerning. There's always a story behind the numbers. That's what I believe. Anyways. And today, we're going to tell you the story behind the rest of the bike sharing industry. Beginning with Mobike. Now, Mobike was founded in January 2015. There are two different versions of the founding story that have been popularized on the China interwebs. The first one is that Hu Weiwei, a reporter, was traveling to Hangzhou in 2014 and noticed how difficult it was to rent a bike. You needed to get a membership card, pay a deposit, which might be different if you were a visitor and not a resident, blah, 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 blah. She had experienced the same difficulties in Europe, and so apparently she decided on the spot, hey, why not have a much easier bike-sharing system? She pulled together some friends from the transportation industry because she felt so passionate about this idea, and voila, Mobike, which is a combination of mobile and bike, was born. The other version of the story is that Miss Hu was introducing a friend who wanted to do a designer smart bike startup to one of the most successful investors in the auto and auto tech sector. His name is Li Bin, the man behind BitAuto and Neo. 
Li Bin wasn't interested in the smart bike. He wanted to see a smartphone-enabled bike rental system that you could park anywhere on the street. He tried to convince this entrepreneur, who's Miss Hu's friend, to do it, but the friend wasn't interested. So then Li turns to Hu Weiwei and says, "Why don't you do it?" Well, it's either that he asked her, or that she was so taken up by the idea after hearing it that she went to him and said, "Hey, I want to do it." Kevin, our CEO of Pandaily, probably knows the real story, but he won't tell us. Either way, after ten years of being a reporter, Huawei was becoming a startup CEO. Li Bing would provide the angel investment. By the way, if you're thinking it's weird that an investor would find or convince an entrepreneur to realize his or her vision, it's not weird at all. This happens in China all the time. Here in Silicon Valley, investors often provide input, but they don't usually incubate or come up with the initial idea itself. While I wouldn't say this constitutes the majority of cases in China, it makes up a substantial minority. So, if you're thinking the second version of the story sounds silly, think again. I could definitely believe the second version, but what's messed up is that people take that version. Get fixated on the storyline that it wasn't Huawei's own original idea, and then criticize her for it. When, as Yingying said, this story has played out plenty in other companies. I definitely think there's some sexism going on here, and it doesn't help that she's relatively inexperienced as a founder, and also because she's actually really easygoing and really idealistic in nature. Yeah, didn't they give her a super hard time about having once said that even if Mobike fails, she'd be happy because the bikes are on the street, and that's kind of a public service already? What's wrong with that anyway? No one gives Ofo's Daiwei a hard time about making ridiculous statements like "We will be like Google one day." In case he's forgotten, Google's currently banned in China. Yeah, I think what she said is way more reasonable. But what can you do? Lots of people attribute Mobike's success to Li Bing and the other male co-founders and advisors. Some people have even called Huawei a Huaping or flower vase. They're just to look pretty. I refuse to believe that. She's not stupid. As a reporter, she worked for some of the best organizations in the field, including at Gee Park with Pandaily CEO Kevin. And if she were incompetent, the Mobike board had plenty of time to fire her. Founder equity is expensive. Plus, Kevin says she's great. If anything, I think one of her strengths is that she was so nice and willing to give up equity and titles to really get the best talent for Mobike. I agree. Some people see that as a weakness, though. But now we should introduce the other co-founder, Xia Yiping, the CTO. Xia is born in 1981 and Hu Weiwei in 1982. They're closer to my age. If you listen to our episode on Ofo, you'll know that that entire team is class of 2013, a full decade younger. Xia had experience as a product and technical manager at the IoT departments of major car companies like Ford and Rolls Royce. His bio says he holds 20 patents. Again, contrast this with the newly graduated Ofo team, who had precisely zero years of working experience between all five of them. Now, we're not saying that's bad. Just that the two teams are extremely different, and it shows up immediately in their product. Remember that Ofo didn't even stumble upon the idea of bike sharing until spring or summer of 2015. Well, Mobike was founded earlier than that in January, right in their backyard. Literally a little more than five kilometers away, but Ofo was launched by the fall of 2015, whereas Mobike didn't officially launch until Earth Day, 
April 22nd, 2016. Why was that? Well, the story is that Li Bing had done the math on dockless bike sharing and had determined that it would only work if the bike was high quality enough that it could run for four years without any repairs. We're talking about bikes that are expected to be ridden heavily on a daily basis. No repairs for four years? That's a tall order. It could only mean one thing. The entire bike was going to have to be redesigned. Which we'll talk about later. But what about the operations? While Hu Weiwei presumably led all non-product decisions, by December 2015, though, all the business decisions were being made by Davis Wong, Wang Xiaofeng, who quit as Shanghai GM of Uber to join Mobike. He's usually listed as a co-founder, but he really joined almost a year after the company was founded, as CEO, and with what was reported to be a 20% stake. And now the Mobike founding team was complete. Davis Wang graduated college in 1997, and so was even older than Hu Weiwei and Xia Yiping. He had also worked in Google China and Tencent before Uber, so he was the experienced manager the team really needed. Again, this is in sharp contrast to the new grads at Ofo. So the point is, Mobike wasn't idle during those 16 months, from January 2015 to April 2016. It added a kick-ass co-founder, and it was reimagining the bicycle. One major change was that Mobike bikes had solid rubber tires instead of inflatable ones. It also made the frames out of aerospace aluminum. I'm not actually making that up. It's what you think it is, a very strong aluminum alloy. Mobike claimed that the cost for each of these bikes was 3,000 RMB. That's more than $450. A lot of customers were not impressed. Although these bikes were indeed very sturdy, they also weighed 25 kilos. That's 55 pounds. And 44% more than a typical men's bike, which is only about 38 pounds. But enough people paid the 299 RMB or $45 or so and rode these bikes for one RMB every half hour. Originally, the team was hoping to charge two RMB, but not enough pilot customers were swayed. Don't forget that it's not just the bike was heavy. Mobike was also spending real money figuring out a smart locking system that involved a true dynamic scan and unlock system unlike Ovo's static locks. This actually later became the subject of a public debate between GSR's Alan Zhu, Ofo investor, and Pony Ma, Tencent founder. Tencent would eventually invest in Mobike. They argued viciously about the technology behind these two locking systems. Honestly, it was not a contest. Mobike locks were actually smart and didn't require any manual intervention. Literally, all you had to do was just scan it and the bike will connect to the server and unlock itself. There was also true GPS capability. Ofos, on the other hand, was really just a simple lock that required you to input the code yourself. At least it was that way for a really long time. But that's the least we can expect, right? I mean, Mobike bikes were 10x more expensive than Ofos. And here's where I'm really curious and would like to ask our listeners, which strategy would you have chosen? Of course, each team was constrained by their various abilities, but if you had a choice, which route would you have gone? Move fast and break things like Ofo, or take one's time like Mobike? <music>
The Bay Area Council has played a central role in solidifying an economic relationship between China and the Bay Area since 2008. The Bay Area Council's China Initiative provides a range of services, including logistics planning for trips, business development, and key introductions. If you're a U.S.-based listener seeking to open new opportunities in Nanjing, Hangzhou, and Shanghai, please get in touch with the council. You can go to the tab China at bayareacouncil.org. Conversely, if you're based in China and seeking to develop new business in the Bay Area, our friends at the council can also help. Please view the China tab at bayareacouncil.org. <music> So, like the last episode, we're not going to take you through the craze of fundraising that happened after Mobike burst onto the scene. After that initial angel investment from Liebing, Mobike went on to raise over nine hundred million dollars from investors like Tencent, Hill House, Tomasek, Foxconn—you name it—all super big names in tech. Before being sold, of course, to Meituan Dianping on April fourth, two thousand eighteen, for two point seven billion dollars. And that was paid sixty-five percent in cash and thirty-five percent in Meituan stock. That's less than two years after it launched its very first bikes onto the streets of Shanghai. That was on April twenty-second, twenty sixteen. It's also less than three and a half years from when Hu Weiwei and Xia Yiping first incorporated the company in January twenty fifteen. It was definitely a surprise, and it was a contested sale. Most people thought Ofo and Mobike, who are head to head, were going to merge. I mean, that's how DD came about, Meituan Dianping itself, and even others like Five Eight, mergers of the number one and number two players in the industry. But it all changed when Ofo got those hundreds of millions of dollars from Alibaba in late 2017 and early 2018. When that happened and Alibaba joined up their board, the opportunity for a merger seemed to die. Now, Alibaba and Tencent are fighting numerous battles on every possible front already. There's no way they were going to sit on the same board and share control of such an important new business line, such as bike sharing. Meituan too had a compelling reason to buy Mobike. It knew where people wanted to go. Now it just had to offer them a way to get there. By the way, for a detailed breakdown on Meituan, check out our episode ten. Honestly, even though no one could figure out how to make money in bike sharing, no one wanted to let it go. Even Didi, who was the biggest shareholder in Ofo at the time, supposedly made an offer to invest six hundred million dollars in Mobike at a three point seven billion dollar valuation. Now, I don't think that was ever going to get approved by the board, but it really shows you how much Didi and Ofo really didn't get along. But two of the three founders were still hoping for the chance to stay as an independent company. When it came time to vote, Hu Weiwei voted for the acquisition, whereas Xia Yiping and Wang Xiaofeng did not. Unsurprisingly, Wang left three weeks after the merger was announced. Hu replaced him as CEO, and Xia continues on today as CTO. Today, Mobike has more than seven million bikes on the road in nine countries and 180 cities, and it boasts up to 30 million rides a day. In good weather, that is, I'm assuming. Its bikes are no longer 55 pounds and haven't been for a very long time. In fact, they released the lightest bike in the industry at 34 pounds back in September 2017. Now, Mobike bikes are still not quite as cheap as Ofo's, but they're estimated to be around 1,000 RMB or $150, much more reasonable. 
They also introduced monthly subscriptions, which you can get for 20 RMB. That's $3 cheaper than a coffee. And you'd think the drama has ended now because now Mobike is part of the Meituan Empire. But even as old foe Ofo struggles, it's no sleep for the wicked as some new players are entering the game. Didi, of course, has revived Blue Gogo and installed its own brand, Green Orange, as we talked about last episode. But a bigger threat could be Hello Bike, a latecomer to the ecosystem that didn't even launch its first bike until late 2016. That team mostly hails from Alibaba, although the CEO, Yang Lei, is a 29-year-old serial entrepreneur with no big company experience to note that I've seen. Now, having two out of the four founders coming from Alibaba probably makes it easier to fundraise from them, which Hello Bike did. To date, it has raised about $1.5 billion from GGV, Fosun, and of course, Alibaba's Ant Financial. And it did all that, by the way, in about 20 months. If you do the math, that's like raising $75 million a month or more than $2 million a day. Yeah, we get it. That's a lot of money. But Hellobike claims that it fundraised so aggressively in order to waive deposits for users with Sesame credit scores above 650. It piloted the program and experienced 40% growth, which gave it confidence to launch the initiative nationwide in March of this year. If you remember from our last episode, there were constant reports that the bike sharing companies were misusing deposits. But beyond deposits, the real differentiation of Hellobike is that unlike Ofo and Mobike, who started in first-tier cities like Beijing and Shanghai, Hellobike mostly targets second- and third-tier cities like Hangzhou, Xiamen, and Chengdu. This reminds me of the strategy Nongsun Baowei Chengshi, or using the villages to encircle the cities. It's a slogan first pioneered by Mao that led him to victory during the early years of communism. It's also been popularized by Jack Ma as the main strategy of Alibaba. Jack has always been very focused on rural users. Our friend Josh Horwitz over at Quartz wrote a good article about that strategy recently as it relates to Toutiao and Kuaishou too. No offense to the Hello Bike team, but this is a well-known playbook and they are hardly the first to use it. I'd also like to point out that as we mentioned earlier, Beijing and Shanghai are so oversupplied with bikes, why would you want to go there? But maybe this is a last mover advantage. Hello Bike also claims to be the best in expense management with the following math. So bear with us here. Their bikes apparently cost 800 RMB or about $120. They're supposed to last four or five years, meaning that depreciation is just 60 cents RMB a day. If Hello Bike can keep their operating expenses to 30 cents per bike per day as they claim, then they really truly do only need one ride per bike every day to break even. That's not cash flow break even, but it's not bad. Just to compare though, Ofo also announced in June that they went from operational expenses of 1.5 yuan per day in 2017 to just 20 cents today. Although what those guys are counting as OPEX, who knows? We'll see. Hello Bike has been on a PR blitz lately, saying that it's now in 200 cities and that in the two months since it's going deposit free for users with good credit, its users have increased by 70%. But even if that's true, its MAU at the end of March was just two and a half million. That's a little more than one fifth of Ofo or Mobike. So it's still quite far behind. 
But it's true that it's growing fairly fast, adding almost as many users as the other two big players, and still having more than half of these users below tier two cities. Are those vanity metrics, though? I mean, it's not going to be immune to the upcoming government mandated reductions. Hangzhou, as we already know, which is one of their flagship cities, just announced two weeks ago that it was going to reduce shared bikes from six hundred ninety thousand to just three hundred thousand. And while Hello Bike has the help of Alibaba, Mobike has WeChat. Mobike shows up as a default function in WeChat, and it was also early to adopt mini programs. Yeah, Hello Bike also claims that one of its revenue streams going forward is going to be precise location-based advertising. I don't get that though. It's literally one of the main reasons behind Meituan's purchase of Mobike, and Meituan already has all those vendor relationships. As for removing deposits, well. We'll see how that strategy works when Mobike announced that it was going to go deposit-free as of July 5th, and Mobike's also announced electric bikes. Guys, if we sound like we can't make up our mind to be optimistic or pessimistic about Hello Bike or the industry in general, that's because sometimes it feels like we just can't. So we again ask Carl Orig, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton Business School, for his thoughts. Carl, if you remember from our last episode, is a big expert on bikes. What do you think of the industry now, Carl? Eighteen years ago, I created one of the first electric scooters on the market, and I was one of the first angel investors in the successful U.S. bike share company Jump, which has been around for more than five years. What's striking to me is just how long it takes for companies and customers to find the elusive product market fit. We're witnessing real-time exploration by dozens of companies in hundreds of locations. To learn what are the most compelling user needs, which solution best meets those needs, and what business models can sustain them. What's so interesting about transportation is that the solutions are so visible on the street. It makes for a fascinating example of how a new category of products and services develops. Tell us about it. The elusive product market fit has left many people losing out big in this space. We were especially struck by the story of Dingwei, whose bike-sharing company probably contributed to bankrupting his family. But okay, Carl, you're optimistic. Is it going to be just bikes, though, or is it going to be a mix, as we're starting to see with the introduction of electric bikes in China and scooters here in the U.S.? I predict that several distinct types of solutions for personal transportation will emerge globally. There will be stand-on scooters for very short distances. Conventional bikes for longer distances in flat cities, electric bikes for even longer distances and in hilly locations, and then car services like Didi or Uber for multiple passengers, poor weather, or distances of greater than a few kilometers. All of this should make cities much more livable and have positive land use and productivity benefits. You know what I'm thinking, Ying? I think Carl's right. And we can be short-term bears on bike sharing, but longer term in China, it's probably going to survive just fine. And I'm not sure this is a battle between Ofo, Mobike, and Hello Bike as much as it is a battle between Meituan and Alibaba. Yeah, Alibaba now has two horses in the race with substantial stakes in both Ofo and Hello Bike. Doubling down, Alibaba thinks this is an important direction and just really doesn't want to lose out. It seems like that, and it most definitely doesn't want to lose to Tencent. Don't forget now, guys. Meituan is backed by Tencent, so at the end of the day, it still reduces down to the same war: Tencent versus Alibaba, Pony versus Jack, Ma versus Ma. 
I know. No matter what, Ma wins. I love it. Which Ma, I mean horse, are you betting on? Let us know. Tweet at us for free swag. We'd like to give a shout out to our awesome partners at SubChina. In addition to our podcast here with Pandaily, they publish the excellent Seneca podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs on China with journalists, writers, academics, policymakers, and business people. So while we only focus on tech, they really give you the entire overview. In addition, if you liked what our guest Professor Carl Orick had to say today, highly recommend you subscribe to his podcast called Launchpad from Penn Wharton Entrepreneurship. Available everywhere you can find podcasts. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. We really enjoyed putting this together, and are always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at the Pan Daily. Tech Bus China, and my personal Twitter account is Rayma. That's spelled R U I M A. And my Twitter is spelled G I N Y G I N Y again. We'll be back here at the same time next week. Tech Bus China by Pan Daily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. PanDaily dot com is a new English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Carol Yin and Kaiser Kuo. Our intern is Scott Dixon.